Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. After interviewing Aram Saba, local manager of NGO SkatePal based in Ramallah, Palestine, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to sit down for a quick chat with the founder of that same organization, Charlie Davis. Charlie grew up and started skating in Edinburgh, Scotland. In 2006, he traveled for the first time to Palestine to volunteer as an English and music teacher. In the following years, he traveled extensively throughout the Middle East and launched SkatePal as an NGO in 2013 in Ramallah. Since then, SkatePal has helped grow the Palestinian skate scene by building skate parks and providing skate lessons, among other things. In 2018, Charlie also helped with the launch of Pushing Borders, a conference about the social impact of skateboarding worldwide. So here's my conversation with Charlie. I hope you'll enjoy it. Charlie, I uh, really appreciate you taking some time to chat with me. No worries. Yeah, super interested in uh, asking you about SkatePal and uh, Pushing Borders. I just did an interview, I think two weeks ago or something with Aram. Okay. Which was really interesting. So yeah, we'll try to piggyback on that a little bit. Um, nice one. But uh, I-, I usually start this podcast with the same basic question with everybody, which is like, how did you find skateboarding? How did, uh, how did it all start for you? So I know you're from Scotland, right? So is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up here in, in Edinburgh. And I think I've got a brother who's a few years younger than me, Jack, and he got a skateboard maybe when he was 11 or something. Mm-hmm. And he was skating for like a little bit and then I got one as well. And then it was just us two with our friends skating in the streets outside. But we didn't really know anyone that, that skated or watch anything. So we just like cruised around. And then after like a couple of years, I think we like learned a few like how to ollie and then went up to the main square in town and sort of met a few, a few other people. I must have been like 14, 15 when I started like skating a bit more. Okay. And yeah, so we didn't have like a skate park uh, back then, but it was just the main square, Bristol Square and then the focus skate shop like those were two main places to, to go and hang out um mm. so yeah it all began from there and of course like after i left school i began traveling a bit and like i always uh, took my skateboard with me yeah, yeah yeah we'll talk about skate pal in a minute but uh yeah before you started skate pal you traveled to palestine i think for the first time in 2006 around there yeah and uh i believe you volunteered over there as an english teacher maybe mm-hmm. as a music teacher as well so yeah, I was just curious to know what brought you to Palestine? What made you decide to go there instead of um, another country or what uh, was the interest? Well, I mean, th- there had been a family connection with Palestine because both of my parents had like, lived there and, and, and met there uh, back in the 80s. But okay. uh, that wasn't really the main uh, reason. It was because my mum at the time um, in high school, she was working at a, at a church in Edinburgh that was um, sponsoring like a youth centre in Junine in the north of the West Bank. And they wanted, um, the guy who ran it wanted someone to go and, and, and teach English as a volunteer. And after I left school, I didn't really want to go to study or, or, or do anything specifically. So I went over there and I was like, I don't really know much about teaching English, but if they want, like, he was happy for me to just to head over and sort of hang out there. Yeah. So I went over with my uh, skateboard and I taught a bit of like music, a bit of guitar and some English to like varying levels of success. But it was really fun being over there. Um, it was really interesting being in a town where there was no other sort of internationals or other people. So you kind of Im- immersed in oh, the yeah, place, for sure. the language and the culture. 
So I think that was the first time I'd been somewhere like completely different, um, which it started my sort of interest in the Middle East and in Arabic and wanting to head there again and like, like learn a bit more uh, of the culture and learn the language, yeah. Right, yeah. Did you speak Arabic at all that first time you went there? Or? No, no. When I was there, I mean, I, I picked up a bit, but, but just from speaking to people, so I didn't know what was like a verb or a noun. It was just like, you know, as a kid, you just like imitate the noises because you know that's what it means, but yeah. you don't really know how the language works. So sure. I didn't make a lot of progress, but like a little bit here and there. Yeah, because yeah, I, I imagine it must be challenging to teach English to a kid who speaks Arabic. And, and if you don't understand Arabic yourself, it must be a bit difficult, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it was hard, although the kind of like immersion techniques, I suppose, is quite useful. It was easier with the kids because they, they were more interested than a lot of the adults in learning and had a bit of English from school. So you could kind of, and it was also interesting, just like wanting to hang out. So mm -hmm. I think because we, we were both interested in like getting to know each other, that, that was quite a good like basis. Uh, and they were there just because they wanted to. It wasn't part of school, but I, was, right. I, I did do some classes for some of the police there and some engineers and they weren't really in it because they wanted to. So that wasn't quite as, <laughs> quite as easy to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you traveled there in 2006 and then you started Skate Pal, but a, a bit later, like in 2013, I believe. Yeah. Before that, so I understand you studied Arabic, you did like a, a Master of Arts in Arabic, mm -hmm. and you traveled over there, I assume, and maybe to other countries in the Middle East. And uh, tell me about like uh, how the idea for Skate Pal sort of emerged, and did you have some inspiration from maybe other skate-related NGOs? Like I assume Skateistan must have been an inspiration, uh, because I think it started not too long before you started Skate Pal. So, yeah, tell me a bit about the process that brought you to launching uh, Skate Pal. Uh, well, I think in the beginning, uh, on the first, the first time I went with my skateboard, I obviously saw the kids were, were into it because it was something new and something quite exciting. But, I mean, there's still no skate shop there and it's quite difficult to get a hold of skate equipment. So yeah. it must have been in my first couple of trips, 2007, 2006, 2007, where I, I guess like I thought, ah, I mean, if someone like were to buy a lot of skateboards and bring it here, I'm sure it would be it would be quite successful. Yeah, because the kids are quite hardy and they're not they're not afraid to like you know bomb down hills and hurt themselves and go up and and uh, and do it again. Yeah, um, and I then I didn't really think about like doing a project, and then I did Arabic in Edinburgh because I wanted to to learn more, and I kept on like I, I took some of my classmates like back there back to Janine during our degree. And then I think it was at the end of my degree, I moved to Tunisia to go and teach in an American school. And oh, a friend okay. of mine, Rosa, from my class in Arabic, she also went there as well. And we were chatting about like, what we're going to do after this. And I, I mentioned to her that, oh, I always had this like idea that if there was, if there was more like skateboards over there, uh, the kids would be up for it. And I was still skating quite a lot. Yeah. And then Skate Stand must have started like around about during my degree, I guess. And so I was like, oh, well, if they can do it in Afghanistan, then there's no reason why it doesn't happen elsewhere because there was like a precedent set, I guess. So sure. that was inspiration. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm just going like, to make it happen. So I got in, in touch with a few youth centers in Ramallah. I thought it would be easier to go to, to like a larger town mm -hmm. uh, where other stuff already, already happened. So they might be more like accepting of, uh, of doing something. And one of them said, okay, yes, you could try it here. And then it all began quite sort of small and like DIY right. in the first year. It went out in 2013. Yeah. And so that year you went there, I think, with your brother and a couple of the friends And you built some skate obstacles and I, I believe a ramp as well. Is that when you met with Aram? I think that's what he told me when uh, when we chatted together. Yeah, so I met him. I met him maybe a few weeks after I arrived. He was just skating along and he saw someone by building a mini ramp and he was like, 
what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> like no one skates here. Yeah. Uh, and he had just been, uh, been given a board from a guy from, I think it was Lithuania, um, I think who was over there. Um, mm-hmm. So him and his mate Adham had just, had just got into it and obviously they came down uh, and got involved a lot in the beginning of helping doing classes and skateboarding af- after the yeah, sessions. And that was probably the most like exciting time for me because every night we would go up to the main square and like skate all, to- all together and hang out. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And we're still like our best friends now. So that was the beginning. And I think if I hadn't met him, I'm not sure uh, how much more I would have continued because I needed yeah. like to have someone who's a little bit older who was already into it to be like, oh, yeah, this is great, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and who could carry on, and who is carrying on the project now over there, and he's a local, and yeah, it's it's a great timing, yeah, it was great that you two crossed paths at that time. Yeah. And so, before that specific uh, summer in 2013, did you have any experience in NGOs or in that kind of environment, or was it all kind of new for you? Uh, no, it was all quite new for me. Um, I mean... I guess like the skills that I, I, I later realized that were like, useful was, you know, like, an interest and an ability in languages, yeah. being patient and like having like knowing the things to, to take a while, um, having the time, I guess, and being able to like, if I came back to go and stay in my, my mum's flat, so I didn't have to like keep on renting flats if, if I didn't like, need to. So all mm-hmm. those things sort of came together and my mum was quite uh, encouraging for me to like go and do it. Uh-huh. So I think, yeah, all, all those things came together. And I, I quite liked uh, teaching English. I liked um, sort of being in that situation, um, quite sort of outgoing, I guess, and like, wanting to like, see what was out there. And I think like, that's what you need, because like, as, 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 as soon as you begin something, then you learn like, what like, project management and development is all about. And so I'm, you, you start learn over time, and that's like, the best way to learn is to have an idea that you're really interested in. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you'll just quit because it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so what would you say have been some of the like the biggest obstacles that you have encountered throughout those uh, nearly 10 years now of doing SkatePal? You just mentioned before like the access to equipment, like boards and everything that seemed to... Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure how it is nowadays compared to the beginning. But uh, yeah, what, what were some of like the main obstacles you would say to doing the, the NGO? Uh, I mean, I think... Uh, in terms of like practical uh, terms, getting equipment in is still the hardest. I mean, it's one of the hardest places to get things in because everything has to go through Israel yes. and it's very expensive and you don't know if it's going to uh, arrive or not. And it's I mean, even in Scotland, it's it's uh, difficult to, to keep like a skate shop running if it's mainly just selling skateboard equipment, like everywhere sells, um, they sell other stuff. Yeah, sure. So it's not a very profitable business. Uh-huh. Obviously, uh, because of the, of the situation there, I'd, I'd say at, at the moment, because there's uh, things happening on the ground at the moment, we had to c- cancel some of the sessions. But more than that, there's just the like emotional toll on all the skaters who were there and people that like the work for, for, for SkatePal and are like are volunteering over there. That's like, like difficult to, I think it's hard to imagine what it's like to be in a place and what are the mental restrictions uh, on living there if you've never been in that, in that position. Mm-hmm. But probably the most difficult one is just like working across a cultural barrier where we come from a place where everything's like now, 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 like on time, expedient, like growth. By we try to like get as much done as yes. soon as we can, and that's like the culture's not like not the same. And at the beginning, you find that like annoying and frustrating. And then, then over time, once you realize that you know you don't know everything and everything you do is not always right. Yeah. which is like a process that everyone hopefully it goes through as they as they get older. Yeah. Um <laughs> you realize that oh okay well things things happen in a different ways so we're going to have to try to adjust adjust a, a little bit like how we do things and then set your expectations a bit lower like I mean you obviously want to achieve x y and z but if you if you constantly think well this is 
like it's possible to do this in theory well it's never going to happen like in reality because like loads of other factors are are there yeah and also because like there was no there's no real skateboard scene with like older skaters so like aram is in a position where he can like lead now but for the past like eight years whatever it's we haven't had people who are old enough and who want to who wanted to like stay in the west bank to do it right so yeah and so can you tell me maybe some of um, like the highlights, so to speak, that uh, have occurred maybe throughout the nearly 10 years of SkatePal existing? So we talked about the beginning, this summer in 2013 with the, the initial little skate park and the ramp and everything. And uh, I think the next year in 2014, you, you did the first concrete skate park in Janine. Mm -hmm. And then in the following years, there were other events, like there were documentaries made by former volunteers. And uh, I think Isle Skateboards also came to Palestine to do like a, like a tour. And uh, yeah, can you take me maybe through some of what you consider to have been the highlights of the, the organization? Uh, sure. I mean, I think the first uh, concrete park that, that we did in uh, Zababde, which is next to Janine. Right. Like a lot of a lot of people got in touch with me, going, "Oh, we'd like to help you like make a concrete park." And eventually, we got a, like a space, blah blah blah. And it was it was the first time that I was like, "Oh wow, we can actually do a proper skate park." Because uh -huh. um, I didn't have any like building experience or whatever. And it was it was a bit more of like a ragtag team because it wasn't people that were that were building of the caliber that we have now. Because the whole sort of like um, DIY NGO skate park building scene was was so new that it it wasn't really like in the same way that it is now. Yeah. And I mean, like, we did have issues there with, with some of the people that we had to work with. And in the end, like, it, it, we couldn't really, like, continue doing that, mm -hmm. which at the time and afterwards, it was a shame. But also in the grand scheme of things, I mean, this is what happens when you, like, learn and experiment and, and see, like, how things are moving forward. And we wouldn't be where we are today without having that. So I think that was a big like, milestone in, like, realizing that we, that we could mm -hmm. actually do a, a project that we managed to, to get through the red tape and the planning. We could do it and get in the boards and, and have people there uh, to, to go and teach. And I think for me, it was just like, ah, there's enough people who are interested and willing to give up their time and money to come and make it happen. Yeah. So I think after, after that happened, we're like, and that was a very difficult experience and like having to deal with some like difficult people. And there was a few times where I was like, is it really worth my time doing this? Because it, it feels like you take one step forward and two steps back and it's really hard to, to find like the right partners to work with, especially because it's such a new thing that no one knows what it is. And like the way that we all see skateboarding doesn't really translate in the same way to a place where they never had it before. Yeah, yeah. But I think that that, uh, that was quite big. Being able to, to to have the Isle team come over, it was also like big as well because they went ju like just to Palestine, not to Israel. And most teams, other people that come, obviously, are going to go to Israel because it's the big like skateboarding place. Right. So it was nice to have that to have that support. Um, although interesting enough, like when they came to do like demos at the park, the kids weren't really that interested because they were like, "I want to skate as well." And that was <laughs> I found that like I didn't expect it, but I found it quite quite quite, quite nice. Yeah, that they yeah, were like, no, I want to skate rather than watch these guys do it. Yeah, yeah, And then, of course, like when we had the our, like, up till now, our flagship park in Asira, that was, um, like, built to a higher level. And it's, it's been, been used a lot by, by everyone, like, until today. And I think, like, having that, having that skate park there was like, okay, we, we've made something that's going to last for, like, a long time here with a lot of kids that use it a lot, like, in the village. Yeah. But I think until, until we had a RAM come to work, like, full time, 
it was always like, oh, I mean, is this going to continue or, or how's it going to work? Because you weren't really sure uh, yeah. either way. So having him come on, that was like another big like milestone of like, right, he wants to come back. He finishes his degree now. He wants to like, d- like dedicate his time to making it happen. And mm-hmm. it's not easy for him because like none of us make like much money. Um, it's not like a career that you can really do for like a long time. Of um, course, yeah. It's a passion project. Exactly. So like a lot of it, even now, a lot of it is kind of still a passion project. And I mean, we're, we're trying to like move on to the next uh, phase and going like, right, how can you continue doing some of this, support the scene and have a career where you can like, make enough money to one day maybe like buy a house and have a family and stuff like like down the line. Uh-huh. But I think like those things and also when we like finally set up SkatePal as an official NGO and had like an office space in London, it felt like, right, now it's a proper thing. Now we can start applying for funding. We have a place to store things. We have an address. Until then, it was just me and my room. Yeah. And even though I don't work in the office, uh, we have people who work in the office. Okay. So having that was was a big thing just for our own like mental stability of the going like right we have a direction we have a plan things are going to take to take a bit of time but we do have enough money coming in and enough support from across the world mm-hmm. that it is like a feasible option. And so Aram joined you in 2019 I think right is that is that when he started his position as the local manager in Ramallah? Yes, yeah, so it was just like so he came back like full time uh, just when the lockdown started. So the first like okay. two years of him being being like a manager, there was no volunteers to manage. So it was quite a difficult time because we're all isolated in our own houses like across the world. Uh-huh. And so it was hard for him because he was just starting a new job being like a manager with having like no experience of leading something and we weren't there to help him out. So it was all like video calls and going like, right, we'll just take it slow, like do what we can. Yeah. Like you have places to skate, like get people in, and we we were able to like to to make through it because we have quite a like a diverse funding base, and we had like government COVID support uh, through it, so we were able to keep all the team members on, even though we we like what we were able to do was like limited. Yeah. And at that time, you kind of feel like a bit bad because you're like, well, we're employing people and trying to get things done, but we can't really do a whole lot on the ground. But it means that afterwards we were in like a strong position to get to get to get started again, rather than having to start again from yes. from scratch. Exactly. And this has been the first year where the Ram has been like been been like managing everything on his own, and we've taken on a new uh, member of staff, Najad, who's his friend, yes. who's like a, a coordinator, and that's been huge in order to help with the Ram and just give him a bit of like moral support when he's on his own. For sure. And um, so I read an inter- in an interview you did not too long ago. I don't remember what year that was, but it was for King Skate Mag. Uh, you said something that I found I found interesting and that I just wanted you to maybe develop. You said, I, I want to emphasize that skateboarding is a subculture found inside the Islamic and Arab world, like in Egypt and Jordan, and that it's not just a Western export. It has its own identity in these countries. I thought it was interesting because uh, obviously I'm from France, so I see skateboarding with the lens of a, you know, a French person, someone who lives in Europe, and I've you know, grown up watching American skate videos reading French and European skate magazines and whatever. So I have this uh, vision, this tunnel vision of skateboarding. Mm. But you brought skateboarding to a place, at, as you mentioned before, that had no experience whatsoever with skateboarding. So they really made it something their own. So yeah, I just wanted, yeah, if you could maybe just uh, tell me a little bit about that, how you saw that happening over there. Sure. 
Yeah, I think so. In the beginning, I was I was keen to be like, oh, I'll bring over some like skateboard videos and like a few Thrasher magazines and next Wednesday, so just so they could see what skateboarding kind of means to some of the the most like like highly like where skateboarding is is the biggest. For, for example, like in the English speaking world that I know, because obviously I have no, I don't speak Portuguese. I know like Brazil has its own like massive scene, which is a bit insular, and like America is a bit more e- exported like a- across the world. Uh-huh. But I realized after I was like, this, I don't think it's very useful to do that. What's more, what I think what would be like better is to, is to give them a skateboard and be like, right, here's a toy, have some fun and see, and see, like, see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Especially in the more conservative places, because Thrasher doesn't go hand in hand with, like, say, conservative Islam. And I don't think there's any point trying to like, press that this is what skateboarding is all about. Yeah. Like, people in the West generally don't like, go to church on the on the on the skateboard but you would go to the mosque on your on your skateboard say and i was like right i don't want to try to say this is what skateboarding is i mean obviously i think back then there was maybe like youtube wasn't quite as big as it is now or instagram or tiktok so it yeah. was you had to look a bit more if you didn't know like, like what you're looking for uh-huh. uh whereas now you can but i wanted it to sort of grow and be and sort of existing within their own paradigms of what young people did mm-hmm. and then of course you know you come to france or you, you go to like say skateboarding in, in scotland is different from when i went to like america uh-huh. it's kind of gray it's cold you have like awful spots like shitty ground you go <laughs> out and it's all like all the music's like <laughs> and that was my experience and i loved it because that, that's just like what well, that's what it was to me but that's not yeah. what it is in palestine although you have like some of the tricks but the main thing was just like you do it like, with your friends and you just like and you're trying something new and I was like right okay well that that part of the of the culture which is found in like, like loads of things uh, loads of sports and, and games that's the thing which translates well so the, the best thing is to try to get like girls and boys into it and to like say it's not about who wins but it's about having fun altogether yeah and everything else like fuck the man maybe it's not so so useful to be like this is what this is what skateboarding like originated from and kind of like the counter culture thing because if you're in a place where the cultural identity and the national identity plays a much bigger role if you're in a country under under occupation than it does if you're in like i don't know scotland right, like, right. i don't feel particularly nationalistic or like patriotic yeah and so like the flag or anything is doesn't really mean anything to me but it would mean more if you come from like a village in palestine so yes. i wanted to give space for people to express how they want to express things without saying ah oh, but actually it's usually done like this mm-hmm. okay and so, for example, when you are out there and you give skate lessons, do you try not to influence kids too much to do certain tricks? Do you try to just have them kind of imagine tricks by themselves instead of, you know, saying, oh, this is a kickflip, then you bring it to a, a tray flip or whatever, you know, and, and instead of like kind of uh, putting these blinders on as to this is what skateboarding is, you know, and, and if you skate this way, you're going to be cool or whatever. Are you trying to have them be a bit more creative, have a bit of a more creative approach to it rather than a more sports driven one? Yeah, I guess so. Especially in like in the initial years when I was working with like local clubs or like or with other um, organizations uh, out there, there's much more of like um, organized like things are more organized. You're in clubs, you're in teams, you do this and that, and it's it's a bit less sort of like free for all in the way that we would say imagine skateboarding is. Like we probably you know we didn't have people to, to teach us this is how you do it. You yeah. just copy like other people. And that's why I think a lot of us liked it. Mm-hmm. Was the, there was no rules, and of course, there's like unwritten rules, like ah, oh, you're gonna do like a bit like a, like a fakey burial flip. Mm, I don't think so, <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Where there's like some tricks that like look good, other ones that like they don't look good, or you have to do the hard flip like this or not like that. Yeah, but that was all a bit counterproductive to try to sort of. I mean, you can say it as like a, a in like a, a jokey way, but 
you obviously want to help people learn certain things, but people want to like emulate what they see. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, if they're just like if the kids are like sitting on the board like going down a ramp, that that's fine. But you want to encourage them to like stand up and, and do other things, but not like oh, it should be skated like this. Initially, some of the lessons I had were a bit more formulaic, and right today we're going to try to learn like a shove it. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm not sure if that if that's if there's a benefits to that or, or or not. But I just did it because it was like a small group of eight kids, and I wanted to kind of try to fit in with the way their organization like did things. Yeah. But now when we have like volunteers there, we have a few like tips on on classes. But basically, I'm like you're there to like to make friends with the kids and and hang out with them, and they'll like learn from you by doing new things and i think that's kind of like a, a, a slower way that is more focused on the community rather than a focus of like acquiring skills yeah uh, which misses out because you don't need specific tricks to have fun in of that course. when you're playing other games or sports you kind of need to have a bit of technique before you do it but you don't really in, in skateboarding you just sort of um yeah yeah, yeah. I saw a few days ago this, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but it was, um, uh, what is it called? I think it was Pocket Skate Mag or something like that. That did a, a little piece on um, Brigariet's Gymnasium in Malmö. Okay. And uh, you saw a class, you know, run by uh, John Dalquist, the, the vice president, with uh, Stefan Osterheim, which is, uh, he's like a former student who's now like one of the skate teachers over there. And uh, the assignment, so to speak, of the class was to learn a new trick. And I'm not sure if it was for everybody in the group to learn the same trick or if it was each one of you have to learn a new trick. I just thought it was interesting to kind of have this approach of, you know, uh, let's try to do something we've never done before and not say, oh, okay, like this is the logic progression. Like there's a, a manual to skateboarding. Like, okay, you start with an ollie, maybe a pop shove it, then a three flip, whatever. But obviously it's a different context to teach skateboarding in a city like Malmö and in Palestine. It's two different worlds, so... I mean, I think I think that's quite obviously that's quite an exciting and like it it gives you a challenge to do something, especially because if everyone else is also like like doing the same bit of like homework of doing a new trick. Um, I suppose like in Malmo in Brigadilla, all the kids are going there, or almost all of them are going there because they want to skateboard and it's like a skateboarding school. So they obviously that's part of their psyche already. Right. Whereas like we are seeing some skaters in Ramallah who are now like, oh, trying to do new things and like excited to learn that new tricks. But it's taken years and years to get to the stage where people were like more people are, are into that because it was always like one or two here or there. And some of the older ones, they would like leave and get jobs like abroad or whatever. Yeah. So it's nice to see that that is happening. And I think that like, once we have a skate park in, like, in Ramallah, that it's going to be maybe a bit more part of the scene, whereas... I, I think it, I, again, it kind of kind of goes a bit hand in hand with like we probably get onto it, but like the whole international volunteer program is yes. we're trying to like get away from that and just focus more on the local skateboarding because if you have more internationals there in like a village without sort of like without a, a scene presence. happening there because it's just a, like a skate park. Yeah. Uh, it can happen in a town like if you go to Ed- to Edinburgh you've got like a, a street scene if you go to like a village outside of Edinburgh you've got people skateboarding in a park and you don't have the same scene that's going to like live on because people come for a bit and then they go and then they move to a different town yeah and that's going to be true for like villages across the world and you're going to have like the bigger towns which are going to be where people who are older stay there or maybe kids from the village end up moving there and then that's when you have the scene mm-hmm. and when that's ha- happening on its own that's going to influence like other villages way more than having international volunteers in the village going look I can do because they'll they'll see it happening uh, in a more organic way in their in their hometowns. Yes, yes, okay. And yeah, talking about volunteers and to have a broader view of NGOs in general and skate related NGOs. I assume after you started SkatePal, there probably weren't as many NGOs as there are now. Now there's like plenty. 
And a lot of NGOs have actually started thanks to volunteers that have gone, you know, through SkatePal at some point, like Ruby and Will that started free movements in Athens. I know some people from Concrete Jungle came and stayed in Palestine with you guys a bit and probably many other people mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, I was just curious to know, like um, when people come to you for advice, like someone who wants to start an NGO in a country where skateboarding is pretty much non-existent or very, very marginal, like what kind of advice do you like to give out to them? It's kind of hard to say just one thing, I guess, but yeah. Do you have any advice for people who would want to start an NGO? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good question because uh, it's the part of the job which probably I, I enjoy the most because it's so like multifaceted because there's almost as many, uh, now there's you know, you know, over a hundred sort of like social skate projects and yes. almost all of them have like a unique, a unique angle. Uh -huh. So like in the ones like that you mentioned of people that have come from us who then go on to other things like uh, the CJF are, are working, like, you know, building some parks and places where there's already a bit of a scene. It's about getting like a good skate park there and also doing a bit of like programming and having like local people work there mm -hmm. and then in Athens it was more like working with migrants coming in and try to like you know include them in local communities and then like women skate the world was they're more focused on getting like girls in and like getting some migrants in as well and for us it's about like trying to build like a skating which works on its own in a place where it never existed before and you look at like Skatistan which is it's more like a like it was a hook to get kids into education initially in Afghanistan so mm -hmm. each one or the Tony Hawk Foundation, you know, it's just yeah. about building, uh, building skate parks. Right. So each one has like its own like objectives and and specific needs. So I guess the advice like I give when I speak to people is like, what it, like, what's your aim? Yes. Um, what's who you're working goal? with? What's the end goal? Like, do you want to like for us? The end goal is to not to is to it's not exist because that would be like success. Yes. Yeah, yeah. uh, whereas we're say for like for a skate style, maybe that's not the goal is to have like more schools opening and that they, they want them to continue you don't want a school to close down so it, it kind of depends on what you're doing but essentially what you have to do is uh, try to find the local partners or like skaters on the ground who, who you can like who you believe in and can trust and have like a similar vision because yes. for us that was the hardest thing when there was no skateboarders there is that all the people we had to work with had no idea what skateboarding was and so our objectives and expectations as to what was going to happen didn't translate all that well mm -hmm. so again it's i think it's uh, one thing i always said like i mentioned earlier is like you know set your, your set your hopes quite high but set your expectations like quite low yeah. like don't be disheartened because like all of us if you give interviews or you're doing articles and doing like videos, you always show all the all the success stories, but it's a mountain of issues. Like it's a really oh, hard thing sure. to do, and just going to be like loads of moments where you're like, "Oh fuck this! I can't be honest <laughs> with it anymore." It's like too difficult, too many problems. I don't make any money. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really like understanding that when you're in a position, people aren't just going to be like overly happy with everything that you do because people that you work with there are going to feel like a mixture of emotions. Like some of it is maybe envious that they're not in a position that they could do it as well. Yeah maybe patronize that they that they're the ones who are receiving some aid in the terms of like of, of like skateboard projects uh -huh. and just sort of like just overall like annoyance that say they're awful situation or or whatever it is and so you kind of at the beginning i was like oh like why am i encountering people who are being like hostile to me and then over time once you understand how everything works you think all oh, right well i'm not going to take anything personally but this is this is how things work and so you have to be very patient yes And I think you should be glad and like it took me a while to be happy with like with what I managed to do because I always expected that I should be doing like a little bit more. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but once I had like a burnout, I was like, right, okay, well, this is a, this is a, a good sign that you should have yeah. to like grade, grade the way that you like approach work and always like have a, have a good team there, but have like a good 
always be looking for a good like like local team mm-hmm. um, that you can rely on because if you don't have the like cultural if you're not like involved in a culturally positive and like in a way which people accept like in the place that you work you're never going to be successful you're going to have to really try to understand like some of the language and the culture and the way things the way they want things to happen yeah which i guess is just like a a rule for any like overseas development or aid work is that's the the key for it to to work is listen to the people who are there Mm -hmm. um and work out who are the ones that you should be listening to and the ones that you shouldn't be listening to and why yeah 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 and so actually, how did you manage to divide your time? Because I don't think you ever like um, went to Palestine and lived fully there like all year long. I know you've been there quite a few times and probably you go there at least once a year or more and you stay for sometimes months at the same time. But like, how do you divide your time between, you know, like your job and doing Skate Pal and, and everything? Yeah, so I think it was, I, I mean, I'm doing Skate Pal full time now and i think it was only maybe three years ago or maybe four that i was able to like, live like just on on skate pal but in back then it was because i lived in spain where it was it was really cheap so i could i could afford to not pay myself all that much okay um but in the beginning i was uh, doing like a mixture of jobs working in shops uh, teaching english back here so i'd always go over for like three months leave my flat leave my job go and do like a project and then come back and find a new flat and a new job or move in like back in my mum's flat again okay and over time, that is obviously quite wearing because you don't have any stability. Sense of stability, yeah, yeah. And you have to like quit your job, so you can't have like a stable income, and you can't have like a like a good job because they'll want you to to stay for more than like six months at a time. Right. So it was quite like exciting. I think when I was, I can't remember how early on it was, but it took me like a good few years to be able to make enough money to be like. I think I was making like maybe a grand a month in Spain. I was like, right, I can live, I can live off this, and that was great because I could spend all my time doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, even even now, I mean, I'm making like a bit more, so we're able to pay our staff and like and everyone like enough. But we're all sort of like just making it by. We're not really making like a lot of money. So most other people, but I think everyone else in the, in the team, they have like other other bits of like job or career or other things right. like on on the side that they can like they could do as well to help like move things forward. But I can't really do that because I have to be like available. Like someone has to be there all the time. Yes, yes. To like manage stuff and and, and to be like on the phone. So I'm gradually getting to the stage where we're moving things over to to the local staff. And they'll then start their own like businesses or do their own thing, and I will take a bit less time, and I will start looking for other work as well. Okay. Um, but it was difficult because obviously you can't get a visa for more than three months to live in the West Bank. I'm not employed by anyone there. It'd be quite complicated to set it up, and Israel probably wouldn't give me a visa to go there anyway. Okay. Um, you can you kind of do like a visa run, but it's never a hundred percent that that's going to work all the time. But I think for in the beginning, I was like, well, this seems to make the most sense to do like. Like a trip every yeah I went about like once every year. Obviously, I didn't go in lockdown, so I met up with Aram in Spain last year. I'm going to do it again next month, hopefully, and then we'll head back again next spring uh, to Palestine. Okay. But cool, it is the hard part about doing it. There is our team is split between well, me in Scotland, London, and then like Palestine. So yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, it is yeah. difficult, and that's also like probably the hardest thing for the vast majority of skate NGOs. Like skate stand through a good push. Like they have this like social surveys where they interview survey skate NGOs and people I've spoken to. The hardest thing for like for most people is to have enough money to pay salaries because people don't want to give grants and donate if they know it's just going to go to someone to sit in an office. They're like, I want to d- yeah. donate to like a skate park or a build, but of course someone needs to plan that and planning Something a park means that, yeah. And so that that's the hardest thing, mm-hmm. as I imagine, for most NGOs that are like or charities. Do you have to like put a lot of awful an awful lot of money into like fundraising in order to get enough money to pay the people to do it, so you can do our project? Yeah, yeah, that's a whole job in itself. To just I assume it must be a lot of work to do all these fundraisings and find partners, sponsorships, and stuff. It's uh, 
it must be a whole process, yeah. It, it's a long time. We have someone who does our fundraising like one day a week uh-huh. um, and she's been doing it for, for, for like a while now. And it's, it's been great to have someone else do that because it was me before. Uh, and like, they're going on to do like another job soon. So I'll go back um, and take on a bit more of the fundraising side and give some of the other work I did with the volunteers to, to like Aram and Nishad as they're taking over like a bit more. So we're kind of moving around some of the, of the positions. But I think we've been quite lucky in that we don't, we haven't relied on grants that much. Maybe grants make up maybe ten to fifteen percent of our overall income for the year. Oh, really? But okay. we're able to raise money through like volunteer fundraising, fundraising events, uh, our online shop, like monthly donors, and people just like out of the blue, like giving us donations. So I mean, even though a lot of the work. A lot of people are not based in Palestine. A lot of our work is trying to like promote what's going on in order to have a big enough presence that people will donate enough money to do stuff. Yes, yes. And the benefit of doing it that way rather than relying just on grants is it's all unrestricted. So we're free to spend the money as we think is best rather than having to fill out lengthy reports going, oh, this and that and like whatever it is. And you can kind of just like cut straight to the chase and do what needs to be done, especially when most of the staff are working part time if you don't. You can't have all the weekly meetings at the right time all the time. It doesn't work yeah, so yeah, easily. Yeah. So you have to be able to make a few more like executive decisions around, around right here's the money, like go and do what you think is best here and here mm-hmm. rather than wait for ages because we'll just be waiting for, for forever if you have to like comply with like 10 different grant giving bodies. And yeah. I think the way that we maintain all the donations we have is we is we're like always showing what we're doing through Instagram and through and you're know, on the ground and like giving reports to people mm-hmm. that people feel like good enough to be like yes I still want to um, like donate to what's going on because I can see all yeah. the benefits that that's uh, that's happening yeah you know? I can see what my money's uh, doing yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to ask you this a bit of a side question, but in 2019, Skatepal started working with a social center for migrants in uh, London called, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but it, it's Aquaba, something like that. Aquaba, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if that was still going on because I understand it had to stop because of COVID for a bit. Did it start again or is it kind of done at this point or... Uh, it's not happening at the moment. So yeah, we we had like a year of doing that and then we had to stop in lockdown. And we we started again once some of the restrictions had lifted. Uh-huh. But we were able to do that because we got like a grant to do that. We got a specific uh, lottery grant to do the project. And we applied again, but we weren't successful for that. Okay. And also the, our, our team, we've kind of cut down on some of the hours in the team to make sure we focus on the work in Palestine. Uh, so we're not doing it at the moment uh, again. I mean, it's something that we hope to to bring back again in the future. Maybe we'll start again next year, but it's kind of dependent on having enough money to pay someone to coordinate all those classes as well. Mm-hmm. And because we're t- kind of more of a transitional phase in terms of handing work over to the people in Palestine, we want to be like, right, we're going to focus on that primarily and make sure we do that right. Okay. Because it was lots of extra work. And at the moment, our office in London is, is going, like, it's having like major like, building work. So we kind of like don't really have an office anymore. So everything's just not in the right position to do that. So we had to basically go like, right, it's a shame because it was, it was great. But we don't want our, our work in Palestine, which is our primary focus, to suffer because we're doing other stuff, which wasn't really our, uh, you know, raison d'être at the beginning. Yeah. It was only the work in Palestine. So it's something that we that we hope to, to bring up again. And to be honest, we don't really know what the sort of the UK side of skate power will be in a few years' time. It may be that we sort of like wind things down, 
just are looking for like funding to help to help the scene in Palestine, but more just like giving them aid or giving them some financial support, and they're like doing their own thing, their own like businesses or their own their own skate shops, and it's not really a skate pal thing anymore. Uh-huh. Or maybe we'll we'll find other avenues that we can use our experience that we think ah well maybe it would be like useful, and we can use what we have to do it in this way. Mm-hmm. But our sort of there are other groups in the UK that are doing classes with like young people and like and migrants in the UK. But our experience and the expertise of our team is more the work in Palestine. Yes. So it may be that we go back to that. It may be that it makes the most sense to like to close down our, our operations in like four or five years time, depending on what other people are, are doing, because the main thing that we want is the scenes working. Mm-hmm. And if we if we close down, well, for me, that it would be kind of a shame in a way, but it would be like a tick going right. I We did what we said that we were going to do in the beginning yeah. and it's, it's, it's now done. Yeah. But it's one of the things that you have to like reassess like the lay of the land and looking at other options going right as we are we as a UK based organization in a good position that it would make sense for us to use the influence and the expertise we have in our team to do x y and z project and do we have enough time and people are like willing enough to, to do that or do we then like direct people who want to do these things to other organizations that are already doing it that are set up in in a way which makes sense for them to do it because mm-hmm. we often had this chat theo and i of like we, we don't just want to run skate pal because we want to have a job we want yeah. to do it because it's actually useful absolutely yeah we could build a skate park in like a different village every year for a hundred years in palestine and we still have a job and we could still promote it and say it's, it's going well but that really wouldn't be expedient to creating a self-sustaining skateboard scene. That would just be making sure that we have a job. Yeah. So yeah. we kind of like always wanted to be honest about what it is that we're trying to do and to not take the choice which would make sense for us, but that would make sense for like the situation as it is at any given point. Yeah, 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 yeah. question was about kind of the future of SkatePal because um, in that same interview I mentioned earlier you said um, uh, I'm going to quote you on this you said the ultimate goal of SkatePal is to really is to not really exist in Palestine anymore at the moment we've been working here for three years and in my mind I don't want to be working here longer than five years so that was a few years ago and now now SkatePal is about to turn 10 years old there was COVID obviously that has been a huge pause for everybody But yeah, so so how many years from now do you expect SkatePal to kind of leave Palestine and let things in in their hands? Yeah, so our I think before lockdown, we were hoping that like by the end of this year slash maybe in the middle of like 2023, we would be in that position to be like, right, this is the handover, the complete like handover of stuff. Obviously, like we wouldn't we would never just abandon things. Yeah, of course. Unless there was some like massive issue, whatever. But uh-huh. I, I don't know what I don't know what, what that would be. But we'd never want to just abandon things because we're like, oh, well, I can't be bothered anymore. Uh-huh. But we want to make sure that everything's like, like uh, working in the handover. Obviously, as soon as we can, but not like rushing it through. Of course. Um, but in lockdown, obviously, there was like a two-year hiatus, which it's not only two years because you lose a slight bit of momentum. We had like a skate park site in Ramallah that that like fell through. We had some like funding for it, which obviously then was like, right, it's not going to happen anymore. So we're like back on our next like focus, which is a skate park like in Ramallah. And I mean, once that gets done, then that's kind of like one of the key bits of the puzzle that needs to, to fall into place before we can be right. We're now we're in the like proper handing things over completely phase. Okay. And we're also realistically... In my head, we could probably do it in about three years, which means in reality it's probably like maybe more like three to five. But but okay. in fifty by fifteen years from start to finish, if we're able to do it in that time frame, 
I would say, like looking back, that's quite a good frame to do it in because it's it's not a lot of time in this in the grand scheme of like building up a scene where there was like nothing in a place oh, which yeah. is hard to get things into. Of course, yeah. But there's a few things that we're focusing on, and like one is to kind of phase out the like international volunteer program, which is not to say that we don't want people to go and skate in Palestine. We the opposite. We want to encourage people to go over there, but not as a volunteer, just as a skateboarder. Yeah, I think that's what Aram told me as well. He was uh, I was asking him like, how can people support SkatePal, and he and he was like, yeah, just just come skate with us. Like, don't don't necessarily volunteer, but just come out here to skate with us, and obviously support by donating and buying some merch and everything. Thing. but like uh yeah instead of volunteering just come visit like it's uh, any other skate scene around the world uh yeah i mean that's that's exactly i think like i think all of us are on the same page it's been an interesting year because up till now well uh, this was the first year where, where like aram has been on the ground i've had someone from our team on the ground there who's like managing the volunteers and up till now i've been doing it from here yeah and i was over there a bit like when they were there but you don't really know what's going on you don't know like the vibe between the internationals and the local skaters you're obviously going to get a few like bad apples in the group like i mean obviously we i kind of like vet people as best you can but it's just kind of hard to know like what they're going to be like in a in a group or how they're going to gel in a in a team yeah but i think overall uh, we've had probably like 400 international volunteers go over in the past like eight years or wow. something that's impressive and even though there's been a few issues uh, here and there and like you know there are some like maybe negative side effects of having that in terms of like maybe some of the kids think i can only skate if there's an international volunteer or if there's like a bit of beef or especially if in like a smaller place if the work inside or this guy did something wrong or like someone like got like drunk one time or whatever it is these things are going to happen and can have like kind of like like a big negative effect thankfully we haven't had anything that's been like too bad yeah but these this is always like a danger like in the voluntary world is you, you never you're never really sure how things are gonna pan out in the end mm-hmm. but the upshot of having them all is we've like created a big like advocacy net like network of people who go there are interested in what's going on and like palestine as a whole and they go and tell other people and their audience grows and so the interest in what's going on grows to the point now where there's going to be way more people who want to come and visit to go and skate because we've had international volunteers come for all these years. Mm-hmm. But since Aram and Ajad have been there this year, we've had a bit more of an accurate picture of like what are the what are the benefits and what are the like negatives of having internationals there. And so when we meet up again, we're really going to be thinking about how can we do it in the best way to have the, like, the best people there that we want, who are going to interact with the culture and the, with the people and the skaters in the most productive way. And then like phasing that out a bit. So I mean, hopefully it, it may be like one or like maybe like two years where there's still some volunteers going. We build like a skate park in Ramallah and then hopefully the guys there can start their own, their own thing, their own entity, yeah. which will then like take off. And then we'll just be like, great, if you want to go out and like and support the skateboarding scene, just go over, here are the hostels. Like there's nothing, there's no one who's going to like hold your hand and like give you like a travel agency. It's like, here, here it is, just go over and, and work it out. It's just like going to Spain. Yeah, yeah. You can just go over and, and, and skate and meet people. And I think that's, that's when we'll see a slight shift in this sort of psyche of the skateboard scene there. And I imagine we'll have a bit of like a downtick in the beginning of kids skating because people be like, oh, where's all the volunteers? People say, oh, I want to do it. And some who are only there maybe to meet international people who are there every day, that might fall off. But then as people start coming back and I was like, right, we'll take hold of our own of our own scene, how things grow, then it's hopefully going to grow in much more of a like steady, but also sort of like sustainable way. Yeah, which. Yeah. It wouldn't do if you just just relied on internationals people like being there all the time and you get away from the sort of aid giver and aid receiver model which we've been able to avoid 
for the most part because we don't come in saying we're going to teach you what to do we're just like we're here to like ha- to ha- have fun with you mm-hmm. learn arabic from you like learn some food you learn some english we can learn stuff together so i think the way we've set it up being quite relaxed does get around some of the issues that do affect other ngos especially in a place which is oversaturated with like with aid work yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with reason as well but yeah i'm quite excited to it's, it's great to have you know like those guys on the ground so we get like quite quick and like more accurate feedback as to as to how like what people are thinking and what we can do to improve because every year we have like feedback and we like reassess what we're doing and we're pretty like pretty open to changing things up like whenever we hear something's not working or something it, like something needs to be changed so i think that flexibility leads itself to then be able to like mold whatever it is that we want to do into like a new thing and we can do that quite quite quickly yeah 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 and so how do you see the future of skatepal so we we just talked about palestine and how you're gonna in the next few years try to kind of not leave but like just uh have the scene live by itself and not have to rely on volunteers as you just said and so where else do you see skatepal going do you think you'll try to replicate that model in a new country do you think you'll develop more activities in the uk like uh, we mentioned aquaba before do you think you'll get into more things like that like how do you see things evolving for skatepal Uh, again, it's a good question and one which we often talk about as a group, especially like Theo and I and, and, and Aram. Uh-huh. I, I, the honest answer is I don't know. I don't really know uh, what it is because it's kind of, even though we've had some ideas of like, are, are we able, are we in a position to maybe like, you know, do some more consultancy or like helping other NGOs starting off the ground from our experience? Are we able, because we have like a quite a good online shop mm-hmm. that actually works are we able to help other ngos from in like that kind of like retail side of things and can that expand or can we do more work in the uk because we have like a lot of skate volunteers that are based in the uk could we do more classes mm-hmm. uh, and do things here all of those are options which we could uh, look at it's hard for us to really change gear into like right how are we going to do that until we've got over until we've like really cracked the skate park in ramallah and how things are going to work because that's I think it's also a part of like having staff working part time because we can't afford to have like full time staff everywhere. Yeah, is the ch- it's times we're all together. We're really like focusing on the ch- challenges and the and the tasks that we have at the moment, which is sort of like we're bringing out all, all the merch we want to like uh, bring out for for Christmas time. We're trying to meet with Aram and the Jad soon to discuss plans for next year. Uh-huh. Finding a site in Ramallah, changing up the volunteer program. So I think we'll probably I imagine like this time next year. Mm-hmm we'll be having a bit more of a discussion because it also depends on the team like we've managed to retain people quite well uh, in terms of in terms of staff being like for all of you guys like what do you think would be a good thing for, for us to do do you think that there's like a gap which we could fill here mm-hmm. or do you want to go off and do something new and i think that i think we have a lot of potential to continue delivering skateboarding programs if that's the avenue that we go down i don't think we'd probably start in a new country from scratch like i did in palestine i think you kind of want like a fresh blood and a fresh sort of attitude for that to happen so if someone yeah. was going to like start one in a random place and wanted us to get involved we would say i'm more than happy to like to give you advice and to like to let you know how, like, how we did things and, and what works out and if we could like go over and help you out x y and z whatever but I don't think any of us would want to start from scratch again because that would just be we would kind of be like all the skills that we've learned is about working in Palestine and the relationships like that we've that we've like built there. Mm-hmm. Um so we're not experts 
in running uh, classes in the UK. We're not experts in like managing an online shop. We're not experts in like other things. The things we're like expert in is is the specific thing that we're doing. Yeah. Although obviously a lot of those skills and experiences do transfer of course. To, to other sides of things. And I mean, personally, I guess, you know, after this, I could... I could probably get a number of jobs in the in sports development or the NGO like or a charity sector. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I if I want to continue doing that or just being like, right, I've done that for 15 years. I wanted to have a huge challenge and maybe that's how other people feel as well. And you kind of want the people there to feel excited by the next thing on, on the line. So if it all ends up going right, we'll just like wind things down. Everyone who's been supporting us and buying our merch are like, right, the new thing is we've got people in Palestine creating their own merch, they're doing their own live videos, migrate all the audience to those Instagram uh, accounts and to those like, like, like social media channels. If that were to happen, I'd also be like, great, that's, that's the job done. We can have like a breather for like a few months and be like, right, that was, that was a good project. And, and maybe, you know, because there's so many other skate NGOs like coming up, yeah. um, like giving space to other people who are also doing something similar. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really don't, don't know. I mean, I don't have a desire just to keep it going because I want to work in this field yeah. so forever. I have, I have a specific interest because Aram was my friend I met and because I'd been there and, and through skateboarding, that was my initial interest and in why I did it not because I came up after school going, I have an altruistic vision for the world I just want to help everyone mm-hmm. obviously that's a good thing to do and I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that we're, they were helping people but yeah, yeah. I think you you really need to have something like a something has to has to come at, at us as a group to be like oh this is exactly what we should be doing because we can do that like better than other people yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and so can we talk a little bit about pushing borders because there has been an edition since 2019 so it's been a while but I personally hadn't heard of it until not too long ago, I think a year ago or something. And I thought it was amazing, like the the whole concept. Uh, so for people who are listening and who don't know what it is, basically it's like a, a skate uh, conference, or I'm not sure how, how to designate it, but it's uh, basically a gathering of many people in the skateboarding industry who will have discussions about specific topics. And um, so there were two editions, one in 2018 in London, one the following year in Malmö at Brigariets. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to ask you, how did this whole project start? So you, you weren't alone in this endeavor. You were with, uh, I think you mentioned Theo a few times, who works with you at Skatepal as well. I know Sander also, Sander Holzgens was involved, um, mm-hmm. and maybe some other people. So yeah, can you take me just a bit behind the scenes on how this whole project started? Uh, yes, yeah, so initially, I think it was Theo was um, we're having a chat about like wanting to get some of the skate NGOs together to sort of like, learn from each other and to sort of like network a bit to see how we could help each other out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his like initial idea, and then he was he met like Tom who was doing like a PhD in skateboarding, and then like Xander, and they both like had their like their uh, reverb organization, and they were wanting to do get people together for more like academic side of things. Yes. And the other people got involved, like Osh, who was doing, who was doing yep. the Skatism magazine at the time. Right, right. And then Stu, who was doing like Long Live South Bank. So between the four different organizations that kind of came together, gradually the idea expanded a bit to be like, right, well, we could maybe make it not just about NGO, not just about like academic writing, but about other issues and other things in, in skateboarding as a whole uh-huh. and include some events and like some screenings and whatever. Yeah. So it, it did kind of, in one way you can say it got out of hand quite quickly because it grew to this like massive thing. And we're like, damn, this is a lot of work yeah. to, to do. And I mean, I was involved in the first one, but not as heavily as I was more involved in Malmo. Okay. And it, it did become, it was great. I mean, like both events were like amazing. There was a really good vibe. We were like, lots of things were being discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did like, f- from our side, we managed to meet with the other NGOs and we're still like speaking with them. And it's been great to see how that's developed. And yeah. 
I think after the second one, obviously it was like, it was like lockdowns and that kind of put a stop to like a lot of stuff. And after like Malmo, the end of that, I had like a bit of like a burnout and was like, oh, I can't, I can't do Skate Pal and focus on, on pushing borders because it was basically like six of us, like Theo and I, um, and then, you know, Tom and Xander, uh-huh. Stu and Osh all, all together. And then it's like, right, w- what are we going to do after this? Like, because we need to open it up and have more people input and to like have, have more hands on deck to make sure if it's going to grow into something else. And at that point, I was like, guys, this is great. But for me, I can't, I don't think I can like dedicate myself to be part of it because I'm, I'm still want to focus on, on uh, escape out, but I, right. I'm going to help. Like if there's more events, I can help out. And I was basically like managing volunteers that were there. A lot of the volunteers on hand were from, from escape out. Uh-huh. But I mean, we're all like really, really proud. It was, it was really like amazing, like events that we had. And I'm just like yeah. seeing everyone, like loads of people who we knew from, from like all over the skateboard world um, that, that were there and we're able to get some, like some uh, bigger names there. Yeah, yeah. And being able to sort of like discuss some of the things which are, which weren't as discussed. I mean, you know, things like mental health, which are becoming like more and more mainstream. It was nice yes. to be able to have those discussions with, with other people. Uh-huh. So for me, I mean, I think of all those sort of organizations, like Escape Out is still going. So we still like are, we still have like the like web uh, domain for the for the web page but yeah yeah um it's, i think it's taken a bit of like a, a back seat i mean you'd have to speak to the other guys more to see if, if they're speaking and doing other things but i think we're still at a stage where we don't really know what's going to happen i mean I'm, I'm hoping that in the future it will will happen again i'm not sure who would be on the sort of like directing like board of that or who would be like managing things but it was just like at the time it was like doing two full-time jobs and we weren't getting any money from it so yeah like skate power was like paying we were like paying some of it and we got grants for other things but we were just like like barely making it like ends meet and doing like a second full-time job kind of for, for no money is going to wear you out in many ways oh for um, sure i think at the end of it we're kind of getting to the point of like right well this people know what it is and we, they've seen the potential for it to grow so it would be easier to get funding now yeah but like a lot of things when like when, when lockdown hits you're just like right well you kind of have to like reassess like where you are yeah yeah so yeah that's kind of the that that's what happened it was it was just like it grew and it became something which became like bigger than we thought it was going to be which was great but also then put quite a strain on all of us in terms of because everyone was doing like a full-time job outside of like organizing it so yeah. it really needs to have like a team of people who are paid just to organize it and yeah, hopefully that that'll happen in the future in whatever whatever that team is or, or whomever they are um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. i hope to, to like see it again but I'm, I'm not sure when it's going to happen but you have to speak to the other guys a, a bit okay. more because i think I took more of a step back just more like mental health being like I can't, yes, yes. can't do no, this completely. Yeah, I mean you, you have to take care of yourself first and foremost, of course, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it looked really sick. I, I I didn't go to them, but I saw a lot of like the talks on YouTube and they're super interesting. And I've talked to a few people that you mentioned, like I interviewed Osh a little while ago. And yeah, it just seems like such an interesting format. And it seems really, yeah, I, I just wish, uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone in saying this, that a lot of people would love to see this um, again. So yeah, hopefully in the, in the near future, uh, it will happen. I hope so. This is kind of a random question, but linked to it. Uh, it's just like, if there was going to be like a new Pushing Borders, let's say next summer, 2023, You've had some amazing people come to the first two editions from all over the world, from famous pro skaters to people in academia and people from very, very various backgrounds. If you had like a sort of a dream guest or or a few dream guests of people that you would love to see in a, a new edition of uh, Pushing Borders, who comes to mind? Oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think other than seeing like some of the of the people like growing up uh, watching, uh, I mean... I don't really know who I would have. I think the people that I liked that was most interesting was to hear people who were doing things in more like unknown aspects 
or place in the world where like you don't know about the scene in Kazakhstan and you're like you have someone who's like this is how it's going because uh-huh. I, I feel like you can speak to for me it wasn't so much the individuals but about like what it was that you were like that you were speaking about mm-hmm. uh, and often the people who were it was interesting i mean i i was more interested personally to hear about the people like the people involved in the local ngos like aram in that panel we had in malmo yeah, yeah. And, like around the world to be like all right here's how they're leading things over there because that's my interest i guess in skateboarding yeah. is i do i do follow skateboarding as well but i'm not sort of like as much part of like what's what's happening in the skateboard world i don't like read skate magazines as much as i used to really yeah yeah, yeah. So I guess for me, the people that I would like to hear from the most is like the new like social skate projects that are, are, are growing around the world and finding people who are leading them in, in places like that you haven't really heard about, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you had some like some of the people like Tony Hawk coming, I mean, obviously, uh-huh, I'm yeah. going to want to hear, you know, like some of the legends in, in skateboarding. It would be interesting to hear to hear from them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, what made it interesting was we're hearing some more of the unknown people. So I guess my sure. ideal panel would be people that I don't really know of yet, but are doing interesting things in the skateboard world. Okay. All right. So before I share with you the friends questions, I just have a last question for me, which is what would you say is the most valuable lesson that you feel that you've learned thanks to skateboarding? Oh, the most valuable lesson. Um, I know it's hard to answer on the spot, but yeah. I, one of them is, is a not such exciting one, but I guess it's like stretching and taking care <laughs> of my body because I get injured so much. I'm like, right. It's like, I, I want to do this for as long as I can. Yeah. I want to try and stay healthy and stay fit for like as long as I can. I mean, obviously the benefits that I've got in my life from skateboarding, it's, you know, it's the community and, and the friends yeah. that I have. I mean, I get to speak to my friends like every day at work and being able to, you know, like maintain those friendships, I guess, like that's been a big part of growing up skateboarding because people I go to see, a lot of them or like, I'm not sure how many, but like a lot of them is through skateboarding. Mm-hmm. But I guess the other thing is like, is like wanting things to like uh, extend. I think that's from, from Skate Battle too, is that I want skateboarding to be like a part of the world of it, to be part of my life, even if I don't skate all the time. Yeah. Uh, I want to still be speaking to the people, still healthy enough to go and skate and, and, and taking care of myself. And I suppose that translates a bit in, t- in terms of the skate pile work is how can I make this like a sustainable thing so that it can continue with or without me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a great answer, but I guess that's on I'll the spot. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> it. All right. So let's finish with the friends question. So I have a few written ones that I'll read out loud to you and a few audio ones. Okay. The first one here, it's a, so it's a two-part question. It's from Sander, Sander Holzgens that we, we mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So the first question is, what are your main takeaways from skating and teaching people to skate? And how might skateboarding help us cope with life? Okay, good, good question. Um, the takeaways from teaching people to skate. I guess the thing that I, was, I, that I took away from it is like, I don't feel like I'm really, if I, te- if I approach the teaching like I did with teaching English or something else, it's not, it's not really working. I guess the, what the takeaway was, this is not the same type of teaching. Because teaching, you kind of want to inspire people to learn yeah. something new and I felt like in the skateboarding when, when I was you know teaching classes or doing it the the times where I think kids were progressing or really get, getting into it I wasn't saying this is what you do but I was like you were creating the hype in the session or creating the like friendships that you'd want to to urge each other on to, like to try something new mm-hmm. so I think perhaps then the takeaway from it was the way to like teach well is just to create the best atmosphere f- for people to want to go and skate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, in my experience, this is not going to be true for all over the world because I'm not saying this is a bad thing to do, but more f- like formalized, this is how you skate classes, I find, didn't really work in the context that I was in. Uh-huh. So my, my takeaway was what I thought 
would be a good way to do it wasn't a good way to do it. And actually, you kind of just want to be kind of creating more of the atmosphere and like part of a good session might be sitting down and like speaking with someone for a while and then having a skate together. And that way they'd actually want to go and learn something new rather than write A, B, C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so th- I guess the takeaway from that is like a lot of things in life is you have to basically maintain and like foster all your relationships because that's how you're successful yeah in life and as a human being i guess that you know it's not really a survival of the fittest but a survival of the most like you know social yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah to kind of like that's that's the idea is like if, if you're able to like do it well if you're able to everyone that say like writes in to me and like escape pal asking even if it's someone from school asking me like like um an assignment from school i want to try and get back to everyone because i know that in encouragement is what i is what i needed at the beginning and that's yeah. the best way to like well, to teach in a way and to, like, to inspire other people, just to give them time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, very true. And so his second question is it's a shorter and funnier one. Is how do you stay so fit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think when I was younger, I quite liked going to the gym and it was like, useful because I played rugby uh, at school. So I wanted to, I had to be kind of in shape. Yeah, yeah. But since then, it's more of out of a desire of not wanting to get fat. <laughs> I want because I, I, I want to eat a lot and like you know have have a drink. But it's become like a routine so that I I just make myself go to the gym like you know four days a week because I've, oh, wow. I've made a decision that I'm I'm doing this. So it's become like a routine that I I always follow. I I enjoy it like less and less as I get older because you don't really see the benefits. You can't really grow in the same way. That's like exciting when you see your body yeah, change. I yeah, guess. Yeah. But I go to the gym, and so since like lockdown began in Scotland, I started playing golf because oh, yeah. it's our national sport. So I, I play a lot with Colin Kennedy. I play with him like a few times a week up here as well. So basically, staying fit is trying to find things that you can do to stay active that a you enjoy and b isn't going to like, like knacker your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me now, my ankles are a bit short, so I can't skate as much. So I play golf now and try and get to the gym to stay to stay fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. All right, let's do the next one. So this one is an audio one. Hey Charlie, uh, you helped me like way, way, way back with the very first free movement uh, funding applications, which led to many other wonderful things. And yeah, I just wanted to know what is your experience of the wonderful, sharing, supportive, collaborative world of social skateboarding? So, what's my experience of the of the collaborating side of social skateboarding? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Did you recognise the voice or? Uh, I, it's, I, it sounds a bit like like a robot. I couldn't really hear it from my my headphones. <laughs> Damn, it's a uh, Will Will Ascot from uh, Female. Okay, it sounded a little bit like him, but I it didn't really sound like him that much. <laughs> anyway, thanks a for the question, Will. Will Ascot. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I think I was. I guess I always felt like lucky that I ended up in this position because I feel like the the NGO skateboarding world is filled with like loads of great people mm-hmm. and loads of people who are like in things for the right reasons. And I, I think my the takeaway from my experience was it was going like, you know, the classic thing of like restoring faith in, in humanity is that you meet so many great people doing things that you that you do feel like positive. So, you know, I come away going, my job is like, what I have to do is great. And it's nice that you can be working with, with so many other people that are doing things not because they want to make money or have a specific career but because they see something that they that like would be great to do and they go and do it despite the fact that it's like difficult and doesn't give you any any money so mm-hmm. i guess it's sort of given me the um the takeaway is like there are times you think oh it's quite hard you're on your, on your own or also when it's like oh it's, it's hard to like make ends meet for everyone you think like ah but there's a reason why we're all doing this as opposed to something else is because 
as you said, like it's it's a really good vibe between everyone. Yeah, almost all the people that I'm I'm working with are open. A lot of them, the egos are taken out of it, and they're really open to like deciding how to improve things. And I think being able to work in a context like that, I don't know how unique that is in in different like times of job in the world, but um, I would guess that it's not the it's not the main thing inside like business is to try to be like more compassionate. So being able to to work in a compassionate field is definitely good for for your soul. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. This next one is from Oshin Osho Oshin Thomas. Well, I don't know if you can do this, but he said, "Ask him to play something on the piano. He's really good." I mean, I've got a piano here. I've done it if you'll be able to hear it, but I can play something if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Try, try. That's the Chopin etude in E I've been working on. So okay. that's the easy part of it. <laughs> I played to the easy part. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Amazing. All right, I have another audio one. Hey, boss man. How are you, man? Miss you. Long time no see yet. Hopefully soon we'll meet up. Question is, what is the best thing and the worst thing of having an NGO charity non-profit that works in palestine (laughs) (laughs) did you hear it okay yeah i heard that okay i heard that okay i mean the cbd at the end uh it gives it away uh last year we were all together and we were taking like uh, cbd so we could like stay like not get injured which worked uh, oh yeah (laughs) okay so the best and the worst things about having a skate ngo in palestine i suppose like well the best thing now is I get to work with like one of my best friends who is a, who's a Ram. So it's, I guess it's the being able to work with someone who you're really close with in a job, which is quite difficult, but you end up seeing the like fruits of your, of, of your labor because it's a very difficult place to work. It's a very difficult place to live. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm amazed a lot of the time that he's that you, he's still like doing stuff despite, you know, it's very heavy mental stress, like uh, being there all the time. Yeah. But that is the best thing, is being able to work with, with one of your best friends, doing something that you both believe in, and a job which, the outcome of the job is seeing other kids who are really happy in doing something new. I mean, you can't really ask for a lot more than that in a job, really. Yeah. So that is the best thing, for sure. <laughs> the worst thing, uh, I mean, what's the worst thing about doing over there? I guess, I guess the thing which is the worst or the hardest is... Because I don't live there, it always it, it feels quite disjointed a lot of the time. Because I'm not because I'm not there, and Aram is there. Mm-hmm. We're never in the same place all that much, and so because you're because I don't like live there, and I'm not kind of I can't I can't be employed to live there all the time to do things. You have this feeling where things are there, but just on the edge of your fingertips because you don't you don't have as much. Uh, like you don't see everything that's going on or know everything that's happening all the time so yeah you do have this like low level stress of like is this going to happen i'm not going to be there i'm not going to see him i mean i i obviously 
trust her am I don't yeah. like checking going have you done this and are you doing that like I know like he's doing what he's doing and I'm doing what I'm doing and I think that sort of vibe like, works well that we all trust that everyone's everyone's doing their job but I know what, what it's like it's not easy mm-hmm. to work there yeah, yeah, yeah and so I think having having a job which is which is hard to like convince people to give you land it's hard to get equipment in it's hard to like manage lots of volunteers all the time and to make sure everything's working things are not going to work well all the time it's, it's, it's going to be maybe what seems to you more problems than successes because you're focusing on the problems and try to like solve the issues mm-hmm. so i think that's the hard part whereas if i was like running a business in edinburgh i would be here i'd know what's going on yeah. there's one goal it's making money as well as so like keeping the staff happy so that's probably the worst thing okay it, i would say yeah, yeah, yeah. okay interesting This next question is from Chris Jones. So you actually talked about this a minute ago. He said he asked, he plays golf a lot with Colin Kennedy. So it could be funny to ask him who's better at golf. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have a bit of a head start because I played when I was wee and like I played a little bit uh, growing up. So I, I did start at an advantage, but I would say Colin probably improved uh, faster than I have. But our games now are pretty competitive. Okay. Like on a, a good day, either of us can win. And I think that's why it's kind of fun because we have that kind of like the, some people that you play with are like talking shit or like, you know, that about the other one or kind of like, you know, but we, we kind of treat it like a skate session where you kind of like hyping them up to try to break the next score or to do the oh, next yeah. thing. And I, th- like that kind of aspect of it is, is the same as like skateboarding where every day you can go and you could do something new, hit a really good shot or have a new shape or get a good score. Mm-hmm. And um, you kind of like, each of us are probably just as excited to see the other one like get a good get a good score yeah um and i think we both had like you know a low score that's that's about the same um mm. so yeah let's just say that things could be things could be pretty competitive <laughs> <laughs> cool all right uh let's do this other audio one hey charlie i hope you're having a nice chat with quentin my question kind of starts off of a st- as a statement and that's that there have been so many incredible initiatives and and different creative things that have come out of come off the back of different people who have gone to volunteer with with skate power in the west bank so you know obviously so many people have been inspired by their time there and that leads me to question like what was the moment that you sort of something switched in your head and you obviously had this idea to start some sort of skateboarding initiative there and yeah like where was your inspiration for that and how did it happen that's one um well i think we spoke a bit about that before of like i think you know the the inspiration of actually seeing it happen was like seeing skate stand right like they 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 began it Um, so you know like Oliver had the like he was like right I'm going to just like do this here when I'm, when I'm over in Kabul mm-hmm. so seeing that and then like my friend Rosa kind of like gave me the push to be like listen you're over here teaching English in the school after your degree because I wanted to like like live somewhere in, in the Middle East right uh, or like in, like in North Africa and she was like why are you not just doing that and I was like well it's a good point I mean I don't I don't have a reason why I'm not doing it other than I don't really know where to start and I've never done anything like that before But I think, I mean, because I'd already been there, I was like, well, I know there's like, it would probably be good. I obviously know Arabic well, like, well enough to like meet people and have meetings in Arabic. Uh, maybe not so much anymore, but at the time it was, it was pretty good. So I think a mixture of like, yeah, seeing, seeing Skatistan do it, uh, having like my friend like egg me on, be like, come on, like you've, you've got to do this because this is something that like would be great to do. Those two things were like, you know what? I can do it. Well, I can, but like, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot because there's nothing else in my life that I have like a burning desire to do. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think maybe like a, a different thing was I didn't have any e- expectations on myself because I wasn't, there was like, I didn't really know anyone else apart from Skatistan who were like doing things. And I was like, well, give it a shot. If it doesn't work, I haven't like lost anything really because I was just going to give, I was going to try. So I wasn't going to set up an NGO. I was going to do like a, a summer project. So yeah. I guess the inspiration was there and the expectations were like low enough that I didn't feel like loads of pressure right, on me right, at the yeah. time, which would help, help me want to do it. All right. The next one is from, I believe he came to Skate Health as a volunteer. His name is Arthur Bonal. He works with the Concrete Jungle Foundation in uh, Morocco. Oh, yeah. And I think he's from, from France, from Bordeaux. So he said, I don't know if Charlie will remember me since this trip to Palestine was years ago now. And we've only met in person once at Pushing Borders. But Talon Skatepal was a very decisive point in my life. And this project inspired and motivated many people. Congrats to him. I'd like to know how he finds all the energy and motivation to keep going despite the situation over there and the difficulty of working remotely. Uh, yeah, Arthur, good, good question. Yeah, I remember. I remember you, uh, of course. Well, there were like a few times where I thought about giving up for sure because it was like really, it was really tough and it looked like nothing was, go- was going right. There's an element, I guess, of like stubbornness of going like, I don't want to quit. Uh-huh. Um, I've gone like I don't want to like give up because then I'm kind of giving up on something just because it's hard and like life is hard so yeah. you, you can't just give up when things are tough because you only like life is fun or like you're searching for like happiness well not happiness but like fulfillment in life by I guess the thing that, that gets you that is like having responsibility for things if you uh-huh. if people like rely on you and you feel like responsible for things that's what gives you motivation to keep on going so if you're always on holiday or always having fun, life becomes pretty boring and meaningless because no one's relying on you to do anything. Yeah. So I think from that aspect, I was like, okay, well, people, I, I do have a responsibility to make this happen. There are good things happening. I just have to make myself get through the hard times and push on. Yeah. And the things which helped that was, one, I didn't want to see myself like failing. Two, I met like nice people like Ram and other, other people who became my friends. I was like, I don't want to let them down, but also I want to like stay in touch with them. I also, you know, wanted to continue using my Arabic and my interest in the, in the Middle East. So I was like, I know, like, it's not going to be super easy, but I want to continue this part of my life in this part of the world and see, like, what can come of it. Yeah. And I guess also there was nothing else that I really wanted to do. I didn't have, like, a plan B in my head of, like, oh, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go and do this. I was like, if it doesn't work out, I don't know what I'm going to do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I might as well go hard. And, I mean, like, various people that I, I spoke to of, of my friends – at certain times, and my f- family, at certain times, they were like, are you sure you want to continue doing this? Because you seem quite beat up and quite, like, stressed out all the time. Mm. And also, you're making no money. <laughs> and can you really continue to do this for another, like, five years if, if you're in this position? Yeah. And sometimes I would listen to them, but most of the time I was like, no, I take your point. So maybe there's an element of, like, I'm going to prove to you and prove to myself that it can be done. Also because I knew that it happened elsewhere. So yeah, yeah. I guess, like, a mixture of, like, seeing all the benefits and the good things that have come and the friends and also stubbornness of not wanting to fail. That's yeah, how you yeah, get yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, I just have a few, a few last ones and, and then I'll let you go. All right, let's do this one. Hi, Charlie. So my question for you is, if you had the choice between losing your Switch trays never being able to do them again or not being able to play golf again which would you choose <laughs> <laughs> did you recognize the voice uh, i do but it's really hard to tell over the speaker ah uh, yeah it's uh it's uh, theo 
Th- no, is that Theo? That does not sound like Theo to me. Oh, I would think of someone else. <laughs> I mean, I speak to him every day, so you think you'd recognise it. I mean, I think the question's almost moot because I'm not sure if I could do it. Like, I switch straight anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see when I go to, to Spain. But I think I would give up the switch trait because what I got out of skateboarding, other than the actual fun of doing the sport, was the community and the friends, which are not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so that's still there. So I, I'm still reaping all the benefits of having skated for like a long time and having been able to do switch trays. Not all of other tricks, mm-hmm. but I did spend a lot of years practicing that one specific trick. And like I feel in like golf now, I'm at a position where I'm involved in the skateboard world. I'm not. I don't think I'll ever be involved in like the golfing world. I just play with my friends, and so yeah, I have yeah, that yeah. community with people that I play with and my brother. Yeah. And so it's not all. It's not only about playing the game, but it's about like like being together for like four hours outside. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like a similar thing that I, I liked about skateboarding. Uh, I mean, I think probably if I was able to like, my ankles were good, I could skate all the time. I'd probably choose skateboarding over golf just because it's like easier and a bit more like, exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of having like a social thing, which you do, which involves being physical and being with people that you like, I'll probably be able to play golf until I'm like, 85 or 90 and i don't yeah. know how many more years i can skate without really hurting my ankles so well, especially doing switch trays like yeah maybe you can <laughs> slap you or do some some stuff like that but switch trays uh, is no joke on the ankles yeah no all the easy stuff i i can't do i learned how to do like a 60 flip before i could a kick flip because really? basically it's because i'm not very good at i'm not very good at, at skateboarding so i was like right i'll do a, i'll learn a difficult trick just to prove that i could do something um <laughs> okay but yeah yeah All right, uh, I have two last ones. Okay. This one is from Stuart McClure from... Is it called Betong Park? I'm not sure how... Betong. Betong Park. Yeah. Yes. Is he the same Stuart that co-organized uh, Pushing Borders? Yes, exactly, with the LSB. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay. So he said, The last Pushing Borders got pretty hectic, but after we all had an amazing skate trip around Malmö in Copenhagen... I had injured myself badly and couldn't skate, but having lived there previously, I played tour guide. What was your favorite session after the event, and can you remember any funny stories from our homies tour? Oh, well, I think the session that I could like, think of that was like standing out was that long, like windy, I forget where it is, but there's this long, like windy path with like banks all the way up. Oh, yeah, yeah, the thing we, you see in the, like the, all the polar videos. Um... Yeah, I think so. That was just like I mean, I didn't do a whole lot, but like lots of guys were skating it, and it was just like it really, like it was just amazing to like see that as a spot and like and nice to be skating with him. Yeah, yeah. But just like cycling around and being like uh, in Christiania uh, with everyone, I mean, I think that was pretty fun. It was just like being with the team, like cruising around because it's been a while since I'd been on like in like a skate trip type uh, situation. Uh huh. The the unhighlight was going on an unsuccessful Tinder date uh, <laughs> in that trip. But the, the highlights was basically, I think, yeah, I mean, the the whole thing was like a bit of a, if I'm honest, it's hard to, to think back to specific things because I think after the pushing boards, I was like pretty shot. I was like, Jesus, can I can I even like skate anymore or like do anything anymore? But yeah, I remember thinking about it now to different like bits where I remember playing a bit of chess at the side as well. Uh-huh. And just, yeah, being, I mean, I wasn't skating as much, but just like being around everyone in like a relaxed atmosphere again. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, I can't think of anything specifically funny offhand, but mm-hmm. it, I think it was just like nice to finally Relax. like breathe for like a little bit and be around everyone who'd always been in that in that situation. But yeah, if I'm honest, I can't recall so many specific things. The whole thing is like a big blur now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was rad. It, I'm really glad that we had like a bit of a holiday all together. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like after the event for sure. <laughs> cool, yeah, it was great. 
All right, let's do the very last one. Charlie, I hope you're doing all right. I'm super curious to hear how the women's skate scene in Palestine is evolving. Could you tell us more about the general developments and how Skateball's project at the Girls' Orphanage is doing? Much love from the Netherlands. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Nanya? Yes, yes, Nanya. Yeah, okay. I'm going to butcher her name. Reise? I'll butcher it too, but um, <laughs> it was a, a giveaway. I, I find it really hard to place people's voices uh, over the phone, but I mean, from, from the Netherlands, gave it away a bit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so how's things going in terms of like uh, of, of girls skateboarding there and in the yes, orphanage? we didn't talk about that, but yeah, because there, there are a lot of uh, girls who participate in skating over there in Palestine, yeah. Yeah, so there are yeah there are still a lot of girls who are skateboarding, um, and I think that having like both male and female volunteers in as much as equal numbers as we can get does sort of like promote that as like it's not just like all the guys coming over. Yeah, um, right. and I think like good examples is like seeing that happen in Ramallah, where you have like more of the older older girls who are like skating on their own and taking it out, and like you know there's like a small crew, but it's it's growing and it's mixed. And in the Sierra, there are you know still like still girls skating just as much as the boys. I think, I think the breakdown from the classes was about like forty to forty five percent girls and like fifty to like fifty five yeah, boys. So still like a few more okay. boys as you might imagine. But yeah, I mean it's been good, and I'm glad that we were able to do the collaboration with the uh, Anushul Usra orphanage, the girls' orphanage in Ramallah. So we we started like a DIY in in collaboration with uh, like Betong. They actually like donated some money with like, Nick and Greg who came over, okay. which is great. And they've been teaching Aram some of the skills and Najad. I think at the moment we came across a bit of a, a hurdle in that we have to move certain things in the space in order to continue it. But we're hoping to like to finish it off, you know, by next spring or something. But there's still like a bit that we've built and he's been learning, but. I think it was it was nice to, for them, especially for Aram and Ajad, to be like leading a project there with with like a local crew and with a local organisation, and also there is like a, a girls' organisation because often if you go to like to the villages, people are going to expect that you're going to be working w- with the boys more. Yeah. And so being in a position where we're able to like choose a bit more, so like as to, as to where we work, I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when that spot gets done, the the idea is that we'd be doing like like daily sessions there, and they'd be open to everyone like twice a week so they would have a bit of like you know it'd be an open spot for everyone mm-hmm. it's quite small but hopefully that will give like a permanent skate spot for the girls of the orphanage to be using uh, every day so we're just like waiting to get like uh, the rest of the funding and things that like moved over to get that complete but hopefully inshallah by next uh, springtime we'll have that and i think when we have the skate park in ramallah built that's our main like our yep. objective yeah, yeah. One of the huge advantages of doing it in a place like Ramallah, which is a bit more open in general, is that it's easier to attract like like women and and girls more into the skate park. Obviously, you have to make an effort to to make it like a an, an open and friendly space, mm-hmm. but it's easier to convince girls to come there than it would be to say skate in the street in the evening in town. Oh, yeah. So, I think having like a safe space. Like a skate park is a good place to have like a like a, a central scene. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's going well and. We hope it stays that way and only improves in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed, yeah. And so for people who are listening to this, what's the best way to support uh, like these projects we just mentioned? Uh, like just donating on a website or what's the best uh, way to help? Yeah, I mean, if you want to, so, so there's, there's various ways that you can you can get involved. You can donate on the donate button on our, our, our the website, uh, skatepal.co.uk. Right. 
also by buying merchandise we like release new products often with artists like in the area from like palestine or in, in that area and that's also like a really good way to to help us financially because the proceeds obviously like go towards all our work yeah yeah and also people do get in touch uh, and they hold like fundraising events in their in their hometown and we can help them by sending them information and materials and, and films that they can show which uh, also then just kind of brings more awareness to palestine as a whole as well as, as what we're doing but if, if if anyone has any other um, ideas they want to do or or other ways that they can help out you can just uh, email info at escapepal.co.uk um, and we'll get back to everyone cool. but if you want to make a donation we're extremely grateful for for everyone who wants to help us out yeah okay let's wrap it up here thank you so much charlie Thanks, mate. That's been great. That's it for my conversation with Charlie. For more information about SkatePal, go visit their website skatepal.co.uk. On that same website, you can donate or buy some merch, which will help them carry their important work in Palestine. For more information about Pushing Borders, visit their website pushingborders.com, where you can watch or listen to all of the very interesting talks that took place during the first two editions in London and Malmö in 2018 and 2019. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Borders. <laughs>